while you're thinking about that, if everybody in your, in your table has your name tag on, go ahead and give yourself four extra points today. Next question. How many U.S. presidents have been impeached? One, two, three, four, maybe all of the above. All right, good morning, guys. It's a, it's a great day to be here in fellowship with each other and getting ready to hear Alec bring us God's Word today. We have a few announcements, things going on in the church. You know about these. Many of them are the same things we've seen, but take a look at the Benevolence Ministry, benevolence at burkcommunity.com. The Care Ministry. If you need it, we are here. If you know someone that needs it, we are here. Care Ministry at Burke Community. Father, Son, Paintball. October 12th. Who's been to this before? All right. Who's going this year? If you intend on going this year, if it was worth going before, and if you intend on going this year, you've got to get signed up today or tomorrow. And that's, that's the uh, knock-it-off point is tomorrow for the sign-ups. Fall Festival coming up, November 2nd. Looking for volunteers. And then the men's retreat. If you haven't heard already, the speaker has been changed. Dr. Marty Baker is going to be our speaker for the first time ever. Grief shears going on, and road to Mike's. Everybody's still in the race. All right, guys, let me pray for Alec real quick. Heavenly Father, we come before you just in some ways anxious that we shouldn't be, in some ways needing in a sense of need, Lord, I pray that you take any of those feelings of anxiety away from us as we um, get to hear your word that Alec is uh, prepared diligently and is going to present to us. I ask that your Holy Spirit speak to us today, illuminate your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Alec Zaccaroli. All right. Good morning. Wow, you guys got some energy this morning. That's awesome. Uh, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for this opportunity to delve into your word. And we thank you for the chance to learn from you and what you have to say to us through these passages from James. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you send your spirit now. We ask that you, you, you speak through us and among us and, and, and allow us to share the truth um, that you've prepared for us today. And we ask that you just give us hearts of teachability uh, and hearts that are open to your word and your leading. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So how many of you have seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? Most of you, some, some haven't? Well, the movie's about um, this man, as, as for those of you who don't know, he's played by Robin Williams, who dresses up like this old nanny. Okay, there's a picture of her, of him, uh, in an effort to get closer to his kids. And it's a, it's a, it's a funny movie. It's amusing in many ways. Um, but I always had a problem with it, uh, apart from the fact that it's a, about a grown man dressing up as a woman. I always found it hard to believe that the kids couldn't actually figure out that was their dad. Right? I mean, well, kind of look at it. Um, I've never really struggled in any opportunity I've had along these, this regard, I've never really struggled with telling a real woman from a man who's dressed up like a woman. All right? it's, it could be the Adam's apple or its shoulders, whatever it may be. Um, you can kind of always tell that something's not quite right. Something isn't what it's claiming to be, right? Um, or, or take a, another example, robocalls. You all know what robocalls are. I know, I know that. Uh, but have you had received one of these robocalls that is um, like, it, it tries to trick you into having a conversation? You know what I'm talking about? You, you pick it up and it's like, Alec, you know, and then it goes, it's like this, the software has like a pause in it and, and you're like, yes, who is this? And then it's like, hey, Alec, and it's like, what, you know, and you kind of go back and forth with it and you're like, yeah, who is this? And, you know, yeah. It's true. Sometimes it is. You can't tell if it's a man or a woman. But in any event, you kind of go back for a while, and then finally, like, you figure out, I'm talking to a computer. And, you know, it's, it's, it's frankly insulting. And I, 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 I don't get the psychology behind it, by the way. It's kind of like, um, you just spent two minutes trying to deceive me. And so, yeah, I want to do business with you. I mean, it doesn't make sense. But the, but the point I, I'm making with these examples is um, there are times when people or things claim to be something they're not, right? I mean, have you ever faced that? Have you ever been that? Um, and this is kind of, this is the issue that we're going to be dealing with in, in James this morning in, in the chapter, uh, the verses that we're going to look at. Um, and so, so we're, we're going to look in, in, these, in these verses, and you probably are very familiar with them by now. But we're going to look at how faith and works interact and, and what our view about them says about us. Um, and what I, think we, what I think you're going to see is that our, our actions speak volumes about our faith. And this is what's so important to James here. So go ahead and open up. We're going to look at James chapter 2, uh, verses 2, uh, sorry, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And we'll start with uh, 2.14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can his faith save him? All right, so right from the outset, we run into what seems to be like a problem, right? Those of you who are familiar with Paul's writings. Because um, didn't Paul say we're saved by faith and not works? Uh, so the question is, is James contradicting Paul here, okay? This is, this is actually... A perplexing question. 
I mean, even Luther struggled with it. He referred to the epistle of James as uh, epistle of straw, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Okay, Martin Luther. This is why we trust in the inerrancy of God's word, not necessarily the inerrancy of the theologians who interpret God's word. Sometimes they get it wrong, and, and, and Luther here does, because you all know you're, you're pouring an entire semester into the book of James. You're seeing the depth of it, the importance of it, so it's not mere straw. It's also not in opposition to Paul. What I would say is what James is, is looking at faith He's, he's looking at faith from the other side, okay? Not from a salvation perspective, but a post-salvation perspective. What do I mean by that? He's not claiming here works-based salvation. What he's, kind of, what he's claiming is, is, is salvation-based works, okay? But put another way, you know, as it is with smoke and fire, where there's salvation, you ought to see works, where there's fire, you ought to see smoke. Where there's salvation, you ought to see evidence of that in a person's life. Um, another way, I, th I think it's on your, your, your sheets there. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. So again, faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. And that's, that to me is, 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 is this whole pericope in a nutshell. All right, so in this first verse, uh, James raises this rhetorical question. What use is it, my brother, if someone says he, can have, uh, he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? And we know the answer, right? What's the answer? Yes. Actually, it's no. That's what James is saying. Uh, and here he's introducing this concept of unsaving faith. Faith that doesn't save. What, what the book we're reading refers to it as a counterfeit faith, okay, which I think is a pretty good way to look at it too. Um, and I want to be clear here. James is talking about salvation. He is talking about salvation issues here. Um, the word that he uses, sozo, is, is, is a reference to divine salvation. Uh, if, you, if you look at this in, in the Greek, um, the construction is what they, what's called a third-class conditional. I mean, I know, what does that mean? Basically, what it means is that he's giving a sense of future potentiality here, okay, which is um, another way of, of saying that having such faith or lacking works and having a faith that is not backed up by works references an action in the future that your salvation may be at issue. Um, so what then is this unsaving faith? Is it, it possible to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and not be saved? How many would say that's possible? How many would say it's not? How many have nothing to say? Yeah. I get it, it's early. Um, it is. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it. In our ministry in South Africa, a handful of, of, of you know who kind of who went with us last time we went, um, I've had the unfortunate experience of, of running into church-going people, even elders, okay, who, who lack a saving faith. Um, and you can tell. You can tell by their lack of works and the way they're living their lives. Um, 
I've, this, some, of these, some of these guys have entered into extramarital homosexual affairs. Uh, some of them have just shown a total outright indifference, borderline hostility to, to poor children in their own communities, some steal from the church, okay? I mean, these are men who, who see the church and faith as an opportunity for material benefit. So their professions of faith are empty. Um, and I think that's what James is talking about here. So, he goes on to give this illustration of faith uh, that doesn't save in, in the next verse. If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, uh, even so, if faith has no works, it is dead, being by itself. All right. I want to see you see in this example, James is, is illustrating for us um, that unsaving faith, in essence, is unloving faith, right? Unsaving faith is unloving faith. And it helping others is, is how we demonstrate our love for them. It's as Galatians 5, 6 says, faith works through love. Uh, and the apostle, the apostle John here agrees. He says in 1 John 3, 17, uh, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. The parable of the Good Samaritan provides us another example of, of, of empty faith with the priest and the Levite. They both had religious training. We know that they both knew the law. They both would have claimed deep faith. Yet neither of them even thought about helping a dying man on the side of the road. Again, each of them would have defended their faith. But neither demonstrated their faith through their loving works. <clears throat> so James goes on to say, uh, But some may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Right, this, is a, this is kind of a tough verse to interpret. It's I, I, probably one of the toughest ones in this epistle. So I'm just going to skip over it. No. Um, <laughs> James is here. He's using a literary device that, that, that's pretty common to, to, to Pauline writings. Right? He, it, it's something that we would think of as, as almost a straw man. Okay? He's, he, he, he sets up the opponent, an opponent to him, and then he responds to the argument in the text. Um, and some believe that, you know, the, some take the view that the opponent James has set up here is one who's just out to create this false, false dichotomy between faith and works, okay, suggesting that when you separate the two, you're, you're as, as you will, you'll see in the next verse, you're a foolish fellow. Um, others read this second part of this verse where it says, I will show you my faith by my works, as simply as James' direct response to the opponent's argument that there can be faith without works. Uh, but however you break it down, what's clear in the verse and in the next one that we're going to look at uh, is that faith is not merely a product of intellectual exercise. It's not a product of merely understanding God's word or merely understanding theology or whatever you have uh, without some corresponding action. Um, 
So he says, you believe that God is one and you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? So this would have been a really in-your-face statement to, his, to the Jewish uh, believers that were there. And, and, and indeed, most people think that his audience was, his, he was par- primarily targeting a, a Jewish audience with this, with this book. But, um, so it's, it's in your face. First of all, he references the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Okay? This was a central profession of the Jewish faith. It would have been recited by the Jews daily, okay? It's a big part of who they are. Um, and here, here James is using this, this very meaningful, obviously deep profession to underscore the emptiness of what they're professing. And he, punctu- he punctuates it, I love this, with a, with a touch of sarcasm. You do well, okay? Um, and then he couples that with this, this gut punch. The demons also believe. Think about what he's saying here. Even Satan and his demons are capable of the intellectual ascent needed to understand and believe in God. Okay? Satan does it. He believes. So we can claim belief. But Satan believes. That's what he's saying. Uh, indeed, he notes that the demons shudder. So he's even suggesting that maybe the demons beyond what his opponent does. They, they have an emotional response to God. They are not just simply saying it. They actually grasp the, the awesomeness and the authority and the power of God in this way. So he's reminding us here that, that saving faith, it's not just an intellectual exercise. I mean, your grasp, my grasp of the Bible, of biblical history, you know, of systematic theology, even of Greek and Hebrew, is not evidence of your salvation. Right? Don't tell Marty I said that last part. But the evidence lies not in what we say. Where does it do? It lies in our fruit. It lies in what we do. Uh, I, I love the way Wearsby puts it. He says, Beware of mere intellectual faith. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. Some of you all who've done the construction projects know that that would be pretty significant. Well, you all probably know that, but, but I love that. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. If you've got the Holy Spirit in you, it is, a it is more than a 220-volt wire. Okay, it's going to change you. Okay, so uh, James now, he moves now on to these, these living examples of of what I would say are faith works, works that demonstrate your faith. And, and he uses, uh, again, two Old Testament uh, uh, stalwarts here, uh, Abraham and Rahab, um, which, again, seems to be evidence that he's talking to, to Jewish believers at this point. Um, but it, anyway, so uh, he, he, he looks at, at these two, and this is what he has to say. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him and as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. 
so we all know the, the, what he's referencing here, of course, is, is Abraham's, it's, it's the same thing Paul references in Romans 3, Abraham's decision to be obedient to God and to sacrifice his own son, right? That's a, that's a pretty significant step of faith. Um, and he demonstrates this, and here he's justified by it. Again, he's willing to give up his own son. That is what faith in action looks like. Now, this may raise a question, again, for, for those of you familiar with Paul. Um, the last sentence he has is that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh, I'll note that it seems to be in conflict with another passage that references Abraham's faith in Romans 3. Okay, so we're kind of these two parallel passages in the Bible talking about Abraham. And Romans 3.28, which you know, many of you I'm sure know by heart, says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So we come back into this, this sort of faith alone kind of issue. Um, I think here it's helpful to know uh, the nuances of how Paul and, and, and James are using the word here. It's, it's dikaio in, in Greek. It's the word justification. James here carries this sense of, of being put right before God based on our actions, based on the fruit of our lives, right? I think of it as being in that judgment seat before Christ that really we're all going to occupy. We're all going to have an opportunity to, 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 to be before Christ and say, and have him say to us whatever he will say to us. And I pray that it will be well done, good and faithful servant. But I think there may be more to it. Well done, but. Um, nonetheless, we're all going to face that. Paul's use of the word in, in, in certain instances, not all the time, but definitely in Romans 3.28, meanwhile, views on God's justifying action in close connection with the power of Christ's resurrection. In fact, Paul here, uh, for him, sometimes there's no clear distinction between justifying action, uh, the justifying action of acquittal that we have and the gift of new life through the Holy Spirit. Or put it another way, Paul sometimes uses justification to refer to salvation. Um... James uses it to refer to being in the right standing of God. And not being in the right standing of God can obviously certainly include lacking salvation, but, but it's not limited to that. But the bigger point I want to hear, again, is that not that James is saying works save. He's saying saving faith is demonstrated by works, okay? So Paul references Abraham as justification by faith apart from works as well he should. James references Abraham as an example of justification by faith apart from works with resulting evidence of that faith by his works. Um, Abraham's faith leads to, this, to his unwavering obedience and to trusting in God, again, which again is illustrated by his willingness to, to sacrifice that which is most precious to him. And James now comes to the second example of Rahab. He says, In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So he, he, James concludes here with this, this second pretty powerful example of faith demonstrated by Rahab. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered about it. I certainly did. Why Rahab? Why Rahab here for this demonstration? I mean, you look at all, you, could, you, got, you got David, you got Moses, you got all this line of people. Why Rahab? Well, consider this. 
Consider Rahab in light of Abraham. What you see is almost polar opposites. Abraham was, was father of the Jews. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man. Rahab was a sinful woman, a prostitute. Abraham was a friend of God. Rahab belonged to the enemies of God. See, that these two have nothing really in common, nothing in common except their saving faith in God as demonstrated by their actions. See, looking at Abraham, you know, before he agreed to, uh, to, to, to sacrifice Isaac, you probably still would have concluded, based on the evidence you had, that, yeah, this is a man of God, but not Rahab. Apart from her works, you would have seen no evidence of faith. But her faith is demonstrated by her works. It was her opportunity to show her faith. This is what you and I have. We have this tremendous opportunity through our lives, through the way we work, the way we, uh, we live out our lives, to show our faith. And for, for Rahab, it was significant. It puts her in great standing. Think about it, Rahab. A prostitute in the Bible now is, is really one of, the, one of the key women of the Bible that comes out. And such great standing, she's, she's, she's ultimately in the line of David and our Savior. Okay? And her faith carried out through her works um, shows us the depth of her belief. All right, so where does all this leave us? Uh, and I'm just going to wrap up with this. James, James poses a number of challenges here. Um, I'm going to suggest, I know we've got the whole Pauline controversy and everything else like that, but I think what may be the most troubling uh, for us, for, for evangelicals and all of this, um, is that he poses the, this question regarding the state of one's salvation. In essence, he challenges the readers, and, and also all of us, ultimately. He challenges his readers as to whether they're really saved, right? Doesn't he do that? Uh, he's saying, don't just rest on the laurels of your faith. If I don't see fruit, I'm not buying it, and neither is Jesus. Um, we usually don't go down that road, do we? But I think James invites us to do that. Now, look, the last thing I want to do this morning is send you guys all out of here questioning your salvation because you didn't give some change to the homeless guy at the intersection, all right? That's not the point, okay? I think James here is talking about is sort of an absolute absence of works or fruit in your life. Nothing, not a nicked, okay? So, okay, if you see that homeless person and you not only do nothing, but you have no inclination in your heart, no empathy, whatsoever, no inkling that maybe you should do something here, then please talk to me or one of the elders or Michael or somebody because, yeah, that could be a salvation issue. Okay, the Holy Spirit is going to move in you that you will have compassion and love for others. On the other hand, if you have a different feeling, you have the feeling, that, oh, I should do something here, but you fail to act, I'm going to say you have something different, Okay. It's not a salvation issue, it's a sin issue. And honestly, I think that's where most of us stand. I know, I know why I do. I, I feel pretty secure in my salvation, which is a good thing because you know, I'm going through seminary and everything else, but, but trust me, 
I know that you can go through seminary. That doesn't, that doesn't do it. Um, but anyway, let me go back to this. Uh, <laughs> I think that's where we stand. When it comes to, 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 to a lack of good fruit in our lives, it's probably more of a sin issue than a salvation issue for most of us, right? And that, that may be a cause of relief for many of us, but it still ought to trouble us. It still ought to trouble us pretty deeply. Um, let me close with this. In the book of John, chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Jesus here is promising a future Holy Spirit. for He has not yet been glorified. But notice what he says. He says, from his innermost being will flow living, living, rivers of living water. He promises that we'll have the Holy Spirit come into us. And he says, so too shall it flow out of us. He said it would be so. That's faith in action. The Holy Spirit flowing out. And as Jesus said it would be so, I pray today that it would be so of me. And I also pray that it would be for you. So let's, let's do that. Lord Jesus, you did promise us the Holy Spirit. And you didn't promise us the Holy Spirit that we would rest in it and do nothing. In fact, we can't do nothing. When your Spirit is within us, we are like that 220-volt cable. We are, we are, it's as though we've touched it, Lord. And I pray that the power of your spirit would come forth from us today. I pray that we would step into this world moved by you to do the next right thing, whatever that would be. And I pray that all our days would be marked by your faith in action. And I lift these things up to you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. So I got a couple questions up here. Um, what I want you all to think about is, though, in, in just of these exercises is, what is, take a look at what your faith looks like. Um, what elements would you include if you were to paint a picture of your faith? What colors would you use? Why? Look at those elements in a few words, and then just look at your table mates. Okay, and then come back to question number two, and ask yourself, what do I need to erase? And what do I need to add to demonstrate my saving faith? Thanks.
Test, test. Okay. Okay. Great to see everybody. Wonderful message by Alec. Thank you for that. Say again? Oh, <laughs> we, we got wrapped up in some other things. Didn't draw any pictures today. We didn't have crayons. Usually have those big ones that you use. So we didn't. <laughs> okay, next slide. Oh, I got the clicker. Okay, trivia answers. Okay, nuclear power, 98 operational nuclear reactors providing power in the U.S. How many are less than 25 years old? And the answer is? It is A. Wow. 20, wow. That's not many. That means we need to get on the, on the stick here. I wonder if one of them is an aircraft carrier somebody mentioned, too. So. Okay, trivia question two. Impeachment. How many U.S. presidents have been impeached? Answers two. Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. We talked about Nixon resigned before he was impeached. So he sometimes catches everybody thinks he's, he's one as well. Oh, it says on the bottom. Okay. Um, with that, I just want to also note that there are three. There's men's retreat cards on your table. There's, we're currently at 110 signed up for the men's retreat. We have room for about 140. So I wanted to encourage you, if you haven't signed up, you've never been to a men's retreat, it's really an opportunity to grow and meet some of the guys. Um, you really come back for that on fire as a father and also uh, as a husband. So I'll tell you, uh, and Pastor Marty Baker coming for the first time, I'm really excited about this retreat. So only 30 left. Please grab someone or, or sign up yourself. Um, Let's see, table five, thank you for doing setup. Where's table five? Thank you for doing setup. Table six, you guys have it next week, you good? I'll send a, a note out as well to remind you. And, uh, and with that, just, just thanks again, Alec, for, for that, that message. Uh, you know, Paul and James and what they say about faith seem so different, and people can, can you know, put them against each other a lot of times and say you got to do one or the other. But I would, all, I would agree with you that I, I kind of agree with both of them. You know, as your, as your faith grows and your relationship with the Lord gets, gets greater, you are going to, there's going to be fruit. There's going to be works that comes out of it. So thank you for that message. Um, all right, let's say a quick prayer before we get out of here. Um, Heavenly Father, just be with each of these men today as they uh, carry out their week. I pray that you just watch over them and that uh, this message today would resonate with each of them. And uh, Lord, help us all to uh, focus on our relationships at home. Uh, as fathers and as husbands, and Lord, uh, within our church, as brothers uh, in the church, to grow it. We thank you so much for each of them. I pray that you be with them and watch over them, encourage each of them that may be going through some trial that we don't know about. And Lord, we just are so grateful that we have Jesus and that we are striving to be more like him. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Okay, all for one. All right, have a great week.